Hello, OIS podcast audience. Uh, happy to be speaking with you again. For those of you who don't know me, my name is Rob Rothman. I am a clinically practicing ophthalmologist. I spend about half of my time uh, seeing patients as a glaucoma specialist as part of OCLI and um, Glaucoma Consultants of Long Island. The other half of my time I spend running in Focus Capital Partners, uh, along with my partner, Ron Weiss. We are both ophthalmologists and we uh, manage an ophthalmic-specific venture capital fund that currently contains uh, 13 assets. And uh, we are gearing up towards the launch of our second fund. Today, I am privileged to be speaking to someone who I've had the pleasure of knowing for years in lots of different interactions, um, but who has actually become a part of my life almost every Thursday when I'm in the operating room. Although he doesn't really know it. I mean, maybe he does, but, um, but uh, Ed Tim is the founder, chairman, and CEO of Mobius Therapeutics. And it's interesting um, that we're, we're having this dialogue. And I think that there's some very uh, germane issues that we will discuss, Ed, over the next um, 30 minutes uh, regarding the uh, growing importance and relevance of your company. But uh, before we get into all that, I think it's great for um, people to get to meet you and to know you and for you to give us a little bit of background. So uh, we'll get into that. And thank you for taking the time to speak with me today. It's really my pleasure, Rob. Um, the, I began my career at uh, an old company named American Hospital Supply, long, uh, long dead, but a lot of uh, history in that company and people came out of it. That are still in the industry. I moved into ophthalmology full-time with Stores Ophthalmics, and they had a product called Stores Premier, and I ran the retina side of that business, uh, at which point in time it occurred to me and others that, boy, this is going to be the next big looming specialty in ophthalmology since early 90s was retina. And uh, we were right. But uh, we built, we started a company named Synergetics. We built that, uh, took it public, and I left just before the IPO. Um, to keep my shares unrestricted. Um, and then that was ultimately sold to Bosch and Loan. After I uh, had outlived my non-compete agreement, um, I looked around at ophthalmology and it occurred to me that the, the next subspecialty that really needed to be addressed with unmet needs was glaucoma. It seemed fairly evident to me at that time. I'd been living ex-USA for a couple of years, but when I started doing the research, I noticed there were all these little nascent entities in MIGs, right? And uh, some of the first CDAs that I did were with Aquasis and Transcend Medical. So it tells you how this goes back. The idea behind uh, uh, Mobius is to, um, it initially was to appeal to those unmet needs and appeal to the developing market, but there's more to it than that. Yeah. So you have a long history in ophthalmology. I mean, you've been around ophthalmology companies um on the surgical side for for pretty much your entire career that's correct over 30 so how did that where did you get that impetus where was the how did you decide that that was going to be the area for you to focus on as a as a, a real adult you know as you uh, <laughs> just decided to uh you know uh, take take a career path i'd uh, i'd been in uh, the operating room for many years i mean for my career starting with v mueller it was a, a division of american hospital supply and so um, the opportunity as it related to stores itself kind of came to me 
and uh, it seemed like a very good fit. I liked the organization it was the right size for me. I liked the people. And what I really liked is that they were taking an emerging market and trying to develop it. And again, it goes back to Retina. Stores had a presence in Retina for some time. They were the original dis distributor for the microvet, the, the mid-labs microvet. Uh, but here they were going to be addressing it with a really high-end product and it presented a lot of great opportunities uh from there you know you you find yourself at home i like subspecialties i like ophthalmology um it's uh it's been a good career it's kind of funny you know i've i've done a lot of these podcasts now and um you know i enjoy talking to people but the recurring theme that seems to come up is that you know i don't know if it's the right analogy but ophthalmology is kind of like a roach motel Right, I mean, <laughs> you know what I mean. Once you once you be, once you get involved in ophthalmology, you you just don't want to leave for whatever reason. And you know, look, I obviously love what I do. You know, both on the uh, investment side and on the clinical side. And it's interesting that people end up uh, very frequently, especially when it comes to um, entities that have grown up in ophthalmology, are often founded. Uh, by people who have been in ophthalmology. And I think one of the unique reasons that that happens, which is very pertinent to your company, is that if you're an entrepreneurial person, you can identify unmet needs. And if you've got the wherewithal and the skill and some financial support and whatnot, you can really go out there and, and sort of address these. Ophthalmology is very contained space that way. And, you know, it's a very complicated organ and there's you know, nine or 10 different specialties inside of op just ophthalmology alone. And yet we continue to hear that there's just this, this growing list of unmet needs. Um, and, and almost everybody who's trying to solve them is somebody who's got a history in ophthalmology. I, I would agree. I have to ponder the metaphor because that would make me the roach. So right. I have to. Well, me too. So it's all good. <laughs> but, um, I think the thing that has been most rewarding to this is that, um, I've made my way and made my living by um, developing therapies that improve the care of patients. If you do not do that, if you have the best answer to the question nobody asked, you will not find commercial success. It doesn't work. Um, the most exciting thing that can happen is when you're in the operating room with an ophthalmologist and they're pointing out to you, this is a problem. This is, this is something I encounter. Because invariably, when they point out that problem, if you have the head for it, you start to think and, and try to understand that problem and how can it be resolved. And you also know things like, what are the materials I can use? How can it be made? How, uh, um, you're running through that entire menu, the R&D and the manufacturing process, because just because you can make one doesn't mean you can make a product, right? And um, that, to me, is just about as much fun as you can have. Uh, uh, above the ground is to be able to be in that problem uh, problem solving mode. Yeah, it's it's very interesting. It's just a it's a recurring theme inside of ophthalmology. And I think that um, it's pre. I mean, at least uh, as it gets to, you know, we'll talk about you know your company uh, and its and its growth prospects and whatnot. But I think that uh, having a connection to the clinical side of ophthalmology not only makes better leaders inside of companies, but it also makes better investors inside of ophthalmology. That's how we started our fund, you know, being ophthalmologists to invest, um, you know, and I think that for, you know, leaders who have an ophthalmic background, I think those companies end up being more attractive to us because, you know, knowing that management has a long history of, of 
developing their ideas inside the you know trenches let's say um it, it gives you an advantage i mean clearly i think that's been proven over and over again so no different here um tell tell everybody you know because not everybody knows what mobius does um you know what what you do um what your products are um obviously you know i'm familiar with one of them as a glaucoma specialist but probably better to hear it from you sure uh mobius was started uh, again with the initial focus being into glaucoma and I mentioned uh, the, the whole notion that we believe that was going to be the next emerging specialty because of some of these uh, implants that we saw coming forward. Uh, the, the strategy behind this is to think of it in, in terms of the glaucoma space is to think of each one of these implants, uh, some that are currently available, some that are still coming through and in various stages right, uh, of regulatory approval that those are the Kobe burger. And when you're Upper East Side walking down Lexington, you go past a bistro. And if you want one burger, you've got to go to that bistro. And each bistro has its own burger. We're the mustard that's on every table in every restaurant. And we're used in their clinical trials. We're specified in their clinical trials. But mitomycin uh, is a little more complex than that in, in ophthalmology. First, there are a huge number of needs associated with its use that are um, because ophthalmologists are smart people and they've recognized they've muscled their way through in terms of a method of use, it's unstable. It has to be refrigerated. It has to be light shielded. It is transferred to the sterile field in a manner where they're squirting it into a cup, for example, which is um, ultimately it's going to become by standard this November 1st. That's going to no longer be, uh, that's going to be prohibited. Uh, prohibited by new USP standards. So huge problems that need to be resolved with that. When we resolve the problem, we get intellectual property, right? So now we have, I think, nine or 10 patents surrounding the Midasol kit, all associated with our resolution of the problem. The other thing we do is that we make it uh, and sell it in such, a, uh, in such a way that it's economically, it's that Goldilocks price, not too high, not too low, high enough to where we make a profit, not so low that we go bright, uh, bankrupt on it, neither does the surgical provider. Um, so, but with Midasol, there's also other indications, right? Um, I was, my sister and I were math geeks. And uh, because of that, the Mobius strip is near and dear to my heart. Uh, and it is a, if you're not familiar with the Mobius strip, it's a one-sided, one-edged object. And if you'd learned anything in Euclidean geometry, you were told that's not possible, right? Uh, but it is, in fact, a theoretical object. We could actually make one out for you. And it's not, it doesn't repeat. It actually is ever new. So with Midasol, we have a glaucoma indication. Okay, now we move to pterygium. And by moving to pterygium, we really gain an entirely new product. It's the same skew. It's the exact same bill of materials, but it puts us calling on a different group of people, likely at a different set of sites. And mitomycin C is also standard of care in uh, surface ablation, refractive surgery. Same thing, same skew, same bill of materials. The only thing that changes when we do this is we change the bill, uh, the, the package insert to include the new IFP. That's it. Um, so it's a very efficient model that like a Mobius strip, it appears to repeat, but it's not, it's ever new. We keep launching into new specialties, ocular surface disease, refractive surgery. We can then extend that model out into other molecules, into other areas. There are unmet needs, we would uh, say, in endophthalmitis, not the 
uh, not prophylaxis, but the treatment of endophthalmitis. Everybody understands how that is treated from an antibiotic perspective, but everyone also understands there's real risk uh, in drawing up those, those antibiotics because the volume that you're trying to draw from a vial and that you must deliver is it's a it's a vast dilution. Um, so by preparing products that are exactly the right formulation at exactly the right dosing, assuredly sterile each and every time, we meet that that notion of quality. The same with mitomycin. Uh, compounded mitomycin degrades as uh, 0.1% an hour. If it's in a polypropylene syringe, it will degrade 28% in the first 72 hours. I'm going to take a minute here and just explain because a lot of the audience is non-clinical and, and, and the investment side. It's it's a little bit complicated, but th the fact is that when we do lots of different surgeries in ophthalmology, and this is you know obviously I think for anybody who knows about glaucoma, um, we're probably the primary utilizers of of adjunctive antifibrosis. So the point is that when you make a hole in the eye or you change tissue on the surface of the eye, the goal is to try and prevent scarring in almost every situation. So for glaucoma surgery, let's say, uh, when we're making some sort of connection between the inside of the eye and some part of the eye that's not the inside of the eye, we often want to prevent the eye from, from, from healing well. And many years ago, it was identified that, that mitomycin C, which is, uh, I believe, naturally produced by bacteria. Is that correct, Ed? That is correct. It was so first it's a natural substance, right, is a, is, a, is a natural substance produced by bacteria to inhibit you know, fibroblast activity, part of their survival mechanism, but certainly um, we can use it to our advantage by preventing scarring during glaucoma surgery. That ultimately leads to better filtration and better outcomes of surgery. And this is the result of many years of clinical trials back in the 1980s done with uh, another uh, chemotherapy agent called 5-FU and subsequently translated into mitomycin. But until Mobius and the production of mitosol the way that we got mitomycin for the operating room was we had some compounding pharmacy mix it. It went into these frozen vials that would sit in our freezer. And then we'd have to defrost them prior to use and hope that the concentration of what was produced was actually what we were putting on the eye. And lots of studies also show that alteration and concentration and application times and things like that resulted in different surgical outcomes, become a critical component of a lot of glaucoma filtering surgery. And as Ed alluded to, it's also part of now refractive surgery. It's part of pterygium surgery, where we're removing growths from the conjunctiva of the eye. So mitomycin has taken on an increasing role in lots of um, ophthalmic procedures because of its um, antifibroblastic activity, which ultimately leads to reductions in scarring. Ed's company produces the only available version that is FDA approved, sterilely prepared, and repeatably um, applicable to the eye. So if you want to use mitomycin and have it not be something that you're producing in a local pharmacy or trying to mix yourself, um, you're buying mitosol from, from Mobius. Is that, is that a good summary, Ed, do you think? It's an excellent summary. It really is. At, at the end of the day, it's quality. And by that, I mean quality is being defined as conformance to the specification, right? Each and every right. time. And the problems we solved instead of refrigeration and light shielding and two week, you know, shelf life of a couple of weeks, no refrigeration, no light shielding, 24 month shelf life, and it just sits on the shelf like a sterile supply. Right. And I think the reason why it's important for, you know, people to be exposed to your company now and why I think there's, you know, some increased growth opportunity for you is that um, there's a difference in cost between between mitomycin you can get at a pharmacy or a compounding pharmacy that may or may not be what you're hoping it is 
and and Mobius's product, which makes sense. You're you're standardized, you're you know sterilely produced and whatnot. We if unless you live under a rock, you must have at some point in the past few weeks heard about what happened to some unfortunate people who exposed themselves to preservative-free, commercially available eye drops that resulted in serious ocular infection, loss of vision, loss of eyes, and even loss of life due to what was ultimately a manufacturing defect and loss of sterility. So there is going to be, I mean, who would have ever thought, right? You could put an eye drop in your eye and actually die as a result of it. We just had a new article today. I don't know if you know her, that that bacteria, this rare strain of bacteria is also transmissible from patient to patient. So now we're going to have to hope that that doesn't start to happen where random contacts from these people actually end up with ocular infections. But nonetheless, the point is that I can't imagine that the FDA isn't going to start to um, clamp down a lot on ophthalmic formulations that are being used off a label, um, especially in a place where we're supposed to be so highly uh, controlled, which is in the operating room. And it hasn't been the case. Rather obviously, we would agree. But I think you just the the nuance you put here at the end was the operating room. There's a tremendous, and this is really where you start to define unmet needs, right? Because in the operating room, you use a lot of medications that are not sterile on the outside. They're sterile fill, but non-sterile on the outside. How do you get them to the field? Well, any number of ways, but there's always the risk of contamination. In the case of mitomycin, there's a risk of an an exposure to a NIOSH uh, designated HD. So the operating room is where we fit. And uh, we're not looking to uh, be in the IMS book and taking over uh, huge amounts of shelf space in a pharmacy. What we are trying to do is meet the needs of the ophthalmic surgeon with sterile, assuredly sterile and assuredly potent product. Yeah, and again, I, again, I refer back to you know recent current events where um, you know we can see that uh, you know ophthalmic formulations you know can lead to big problems, and you know, and we listen. Everybody in the world has seen some version of endophthalmitis, right? You know, severe intraocular infection that's iatrogenic that occurred as a result of a manipulation that we did in an effort to try and help somebody. You know, surgical endophthalmitis. That's the number one, you know, the most horrific surgical you know, trauma that you can basically have. And, you know, we don't know a lot of times where the level of infection was, whether it was machinery, whether it was a device, whether it was an agent that was used, you know, but we're injecting things in the eye all the time, right? We, we, we do that all the time. And when, when mitomycin is applied, it is a highly toxic compound, if not prepared correctly, and if not applied correctly, you know, I've known people who have used mitomycin, um, you know, in an office setting where we've used it, let's say for certain minor revision procedures that we can do in the office, whose skin has come in contact with it without knowing, and they've had non-healing ulcers there for, 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 for weeks, you know, it's this nice, nasty stuff. And, and I feel sort of embarrassed and ashamed a little bit that for many, many years, we were very flippant about how we, how we got a hold of it. And I think that, you know, the whole conversation regarding, regarding Midasol and the future products that you will produce, um, you know, really are going to end up being what is likely going to, you know, mandate different standards of care going forward, because we just, we've seen that we can, we can screw it up a little bit if it's not perfect. We would obviously agree, but I, I think more so the, the going forward into the future, uh, it's been a, it's been a tough slug. I mean, ubiquity it breeds a certain sense of complacency, right? And, and, um, and 
incidents such as what you just described is what's happening with the eye drops now. There were other instances that have been published in the press over the years uh, of contaminated drugs in ophthalmology that have uh, been um, uh, caused, created these iatrogenic catastrophes. Um, that is finally getting through the the and when I say getting through to the um, to the regulatory authorities, we're seeing movement in the, in the right direction. And it's actually um, thanking Ja for this. It's it's had a good effect on on our activity. So we believe that the the road ahead is not only uh, robust, but it's leading out for us in good lanes. Yeah, I think and, and I think it's interesting, you know, you've talked about future products and obviously you know many of us are aware of some of the future glaucoma devices that are hopefully going to become available and how almost any as i've said before filtering procedure in glaucoma which is where you know obviously you know do do all of my work uh, require the use of mitomycin for improved outcomes right surgery filtering surgery performed with mitomycin almost always performs better than surgery perform perform without it and having mitosol as the indication is um interesting because in the past, when no mitosol was available, we used some sort of standardized procedure for preparation, but still wasn't a standardized product, right? There was always room for error in that case. And it makes you wonder how many of the um, things that we do as ophthalmologists, um, we do because of a lack of availability of products like mitosol. For example, the treatment of endophthalmitis, right? There is a, a whole list of publications out there of people who've used different types of formulations of antibiotics and concentrations that people are drawing up out of bottles in their office and mixing and trying to create sterilely. But ultimately, we don't even have standardized antibiotics for injection for endophthalmitis. It's absolutely correct. We would define that, Rob, as an unmet need. No, right. no question. Right. So this is the so this is the point that we do clinical we've done clinical trials in the past where the lack of availability of standardized product can lead to lack of availability of outcome uh, can lead to increased variability of outcome but the lack of availability of product also has guided clinical decision making and who knows if we're going to have you know better outcomes with better repeatable standardized products. I think there's a reason why FDA specifies mitosol in these clinical trials. Right. Not only for the existing product, it's for Zen, we were used as that, uh, as a companion drug in that clinical trials. But we know that Preserflow has uh, uh, is has a new uh, bite at the apple coming up. And there are others coming forward. Rob, as an investor, you're probably well aware of these new nascent entities, all right. of whom will have uh, Midasol specified for use in their clinical trials. Why? Because it's the exact same thing every time. We have a standardized product. Right. Right. And I think that's I think it's going to be important. I think that that's been one of the, you know, sort of hushed, you know, issues that have always come out of some of these uh, clinical trials with regard to outcomes and variability of surgical outcomes. But now that we have standardized product, I think things change. I think it leads to ultimate growth for your business. But um tell right. us about, you know, what what what's the plan for Mobius? You have equity shareholders in Mobius. I know that because we've spoken in the past about it. Um <laughs> and um you know, there are people who want to see this company continue to grow. What is what is what is on the horizon for the company? What do you think is going to happen to you guys? Because your your growth should continue to be, you know, you know, pretty significant over the over the next coming years. We've we've really experienced that growth. And so there's I would say there's two heads to this, right? The one head is down and charging forward and really executing on the things we know and the and the strategic objectives uh that we have outlined. And we're pushing towards to drive things like USP 800, these new mixed devices, et cetera. So that the head is down and 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 working hard. 
The other side of this, of course, is yes. You know, we see ourselves uh, outside equity investors invest looking for an exit, right? And so we're obviously open to any sort of discussions as it relates to strategic partnership, acquisition, uh, that had never turns away from that. It's probably actually a time to think about these things because we're right at an inflection point, right? But uh, for the moment, heads down and, and is pounding. Yeah, you know, this is what you do is ancillary to almost every single company that's op operating room-based in ophthalmology. You know, any of the surgical companies out there that are um, providing products to uh, ophthalmologists every single day, this would be um, sort of a bolt-on acquisition, let's say, if you were available for acquisition, that would allow them to increase the playbook of things that they can offer to physicians as, as they continue um, to develop new uh, surgical techniques and, and experience you know, new products that are becoming to market in the near future. And certainly as new rules roll out regarding standardization of care in the operating room with regard to these, these agents. But um, yeah, I don't know if that's, if that's happening or whatnot, but it certainly seems like a legitimate path for the company to take. Spot on, bolt on is, is the operative word. It's, it, it is in, in all respects, the way that the company is structured and, and the way that the, the product offering is structured, it, it makes a, a pretty attractive bolt on. So Ed, thank you. I really appreciate you taking the time today. I, again, it's kind of funny, and I, you know, it's like we've spoken a bunch, but yet every Thursday when I'm in the OR, <laughs> there, you are, there you are, you know. Oh. And uh, even if we don't get to talk, at least we appreciate the fact that you're, uh, you know, you're you're helping my patients. Um, okay. And uh, look, we we're looking forward to future products from Mobius. Um, I think you guys have a great um, system for making sure that we have standardized products, making care safer and more efficient, you know, for our patients and obviously making our lives a little bit better and easier by allowing us to know that we've got, you know, proper product in the, in the proper concentration and, and sterilely prepared and delivered to the surgical field without the risk of, you know, us doing, doing harm. So appreciate all the work you've done and, uh, you know, looking forward to the next steps for the company over the next couple of years. Thank you, Rob. I appreciate it. It's good to see you. Thanks for the time. Yep. Thanks, OIS podcast audience. Looking forward to the next uh, conversation down the road. Thank you.